We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. By the end of World War II, the 125,000 men who had served in Bomber Command weren't just forgotten, they were shunned. There was a deep sense of shame at the devastation that had been inflicted on Germany and its cities by what is called the Indiscriminate Area Bombing Campaign. I can understand the mood as being something like I experienced when the war in Vietnam came to an end. The brave men and women who served Australia and the United States in the Vietnam War became the objects of disgust and even hatred. That was to be the fate of the men and women who had served in Bomber Command during World War II. It took people of great courage and conviction to bravely battle to turn this thing around and to have the vital achievements of the men of Bomber Command, which made winning World War II possible, recognised. One of the people who was most dedicated to the cause of erecting a lasting monument to the brilliant achievements of Bomber Command, correcting the mistreatment that those men had received at the end of World War II, was the late Robin Gibb of the BGs. He was president of the Memorials Heritage Foundation for many years and a powerful driving force in making the memorial's realisation happen. Shortly before his death, Robin Gibb got to visit the nearly complete Bomber Command Memorial in Green Park at the end of Piccadilly, near Hyde Park Corner. He scrambled up ladders so he could take the full tour of the 15-metre-high memorial. When he came face-to-face with a 3-metre-high crest emblazoned with the words Bomber Command Royal Air Force, the full impact of what he had accomplished hit him. He said... This is honestly the proudest thing I've ever done. It was so important to finally see the brave airmen who risked their lives every night to fly bombing raids over Germany and shorten the war were finally honoured and now it is happening. This memorial is bigger than even the Wellington Memorial and will still be here long after we are gone. It will last forever. Robin Gibb died from the cancer that had hounded him for many years on 20 May 2012. Just a few weeks later, on 12 June 2012, the Bomber Command Memorial was formally dedicated by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, commemorating the contribution of the 125,000 aircrew of Bomber Command, including 10,000 Australians and our own Vic Trumbull from Mariba. 57,862 of them died performing this invaluable service of self-sacrifice. As Jesus said, no greater love hath a man than to lay down his life for his friends. Just over 46% of all of the aircrew died in performing this sacrifice for everyone in the world. Just think of that.
But because of the Christian nation that we live in, forgiveness is at the heart of our values. And as war neared its end, the people in England and Australia began to see the horrific and extensive damage that Bomber Command inflicted as something to be ashamed of, because they were moving to forgive the Germans for the war. We need to have a hard look right now at how Bomber Command contributed to winning the war, to weigh up for ourselves whether their contribution to the war is a thing to be ashamed of or to be grateful for. The accomplishments of the bomber offensive were impressive and clearly decisive. The young, dynamic and brilliant head of the German armaments industry from early 1942 until the end of the war, Albert Speer, called the air war over Germany the greatest lost battle on the German side. One illustration of the contribution of the bomber offensive made to Germany's defeat in the war was the fact that no fewer than two million men were tied down defending the German homeland against the bombers. If Hitler had been able to throw those men somewhere else into the German war effort, their impact might have been decisive. One third of all artillery production in Germany was devoted to making anti-aircraft guns. Other kinds of artillery would have been more valuable to the men fighting at the front. Albert Speer said that there were nearly 20,000 88mm anti-aircraft slash anti-tank guns defending Germany. If they had been free to deploy on the Eastern Front, the Germans would have doubled the number of anti-tank guns they had, and the outcome could easily have been decisive in tipping the war to a German victory. Not only in Russia, but in the entire war, the 88mm gun was feared by everyone on the Allied side. There wasn't an armoured vehicle that it couldn't easily destroy. 1943 was the decisive year for the Germans on the Eastern Front. Hitler launched his final major offensive against the Russians at Kursk in July 1943. It failed. A major factor in the failure of the offensive was the fact that 70% of the German fighters were in Western Europe, protecting Germany from the Allied bombers. Lack of good, strong air support may have been the reason why the Kursk offensive failed. By April 1944, the Germans had just 500 aircraft available to deploy on the Eastern Front against the 13,000 aircraft that the Russians had. By the time of D-Day, because of the increasing size and effectiveness of the Allied bomber forces, the German army in France had just 300 serviceable planes against the 12,000 British and American aircraft. There is no doubt that if the Germans had been able to keep control of the skies over France, the Allied invasion on D-Day wouldn't have been possible. By the end of 1944, the German railway system was only moving half of what it had the year before. The railroads and the engines and freight cars had been largely destroyed by the bombing raids. In January 1945, Albert Speer evaluated the impact that the bomber offensive had had on German war production. He estimated that the Germans had made 35% fewer tanks than they had expected to make, 31% fewer aircraft, and 42% fewer trucks. 400,000 to 500,000 Germans were killed in bombing raids on Germany. Most of them were civilians. One of the curious things about the Allied bombing raids on Germany was 
that there wasn't much hatred directed by ordinary people against the British. One German woman wrote, Despite everything that we have suffered in the attacks, there's not much hatred in Hamburg for the enemy. It's worth exploring now how many of the German people saw the conduct of the war by the Nazis being mirrored in what was happening or going to happen to them. Bomber Command was especially criticised at the end of the war and after it for needlessly prosecuting the war with full intensity in the last few months when the Germans were clearly beaten. But World War II was nothing like World War I. In the First War, the Germans recognised that they were beaten and surrendered before any Allied soldier even got close to German territory. For the Nazis, particularly men like Hitler and Goebbels, surrender, which was the whole basis of their coming to power because of the surrender in World War I that they had said was a betrayal of the German people, was unthinkable. And the Nazis had done so many unthinkable things that only a terrible fate awaited them if they were captured. Better to destroy the whole German nation and at least go down in a blaze of glory, securing your place in history. The Nazi idea of war, especially in the East, Poland and Russia, was one of unlimited barbarism. It was not intended to be anything else. In his excellent trilogy on the history of the Nazis, Richard J. Evans gives a chilling account in the third volume, The Third Reich at War, of the Nazi way of doing things. At the beginning of the war, when Poland was invaded, Hitler ordered the organisation of what was called an ethnic German self-protection militia. Heinrich Himmler's adjutant, Ludolf von Alvensleben, was put in charge. He told his men on 16 October... 1939, you are now the master race here. Don't be soft, be merciless, and clear out everything that is not German and could hinder us in our work of construction. By 7 October 1939, 4,247 Poles had been subjected to the sharpest measures. In the month from 11 October 1939 to 11 November 1939, 2,000 men, women and children were shot by the militia in Kulm district. No fewer than 10,000 Poles and Jews were brought by militiamen to Minzek, lined up at the edge of a gravel pit and shot. Militias assisted by German soldiers shot another 8,000 in a wood near Kalshof by 15 November 1939. Of 65,000 Poles and Jews murdered in the last quarter of 1939, around half were killed by militias, and sometimes in bestial circumstances. These were the first mass shootings of civilians in the war. By the time World War II in Poland was over, the Germans had killed one in four of the Polish population. No European country suffered such a rate of extermination other than the Jews, targeted because of their ethnicity not their religion or nationality. The mass exterminations that began to be carried out in Poland had nothing to do with the harsh demands of war, fighting partisans, etc. Young Germans had been taught about their superiority and the inferiority of the peoples in Eastern Europe since the Nazis came to power in 1933. By 1939, there were many young soldiers and officers in the German army who had been brought up with that indoctrination. 
Armed with this worldview, they took it as natural and part of their duty to snuff out the lives of these subhuman peoples. On 4 October 1943, in Posen, Heinrich Himmler gave a speech to senior SS officers. He had this to say, The evacuation of the Jews is a laudable page in our history that will never be written. The Jews were a threat to the Reich, therefore they were being killed, and not just the men. We were approached with the question, what about the women and children? I decided to find an absolutely clear solution here too. Thus I did not feel I had the right to exterminate. Let's say then, kill them, or have them killed, the men, while I allowed their avengers in the form of their children to grow up and avenge them upon our sons and grandsons. The really difficult decision had to be taken to make this people disappear off the face of the earth. For the organization that had to carry out the task, it was the most difficult we had so far had. In Prague, there's a museum. It was prepared by the Nazis while they occupied what was then Czechoslovakia. It was a museum of the extinct race, the Jews. The plans for the German invasion of Russia had as one of their immediate goals the starvation to death of 30 million Russians to be achieved by June 1942. On 15 November 1941, Hermann Goering told the Italian Foreign Minister, Count Siano, this year 20 to 30 million people in Russia will starve. The Germans continued to fight the war without let-up right to the end. In December 1944, when the Allies believed the war was over, Hitler launched an attack in the Ardennes with 600 tanks, 200,000 troops and 1,900 artillery pieces. It was known as the Battle of the Bulge. It achieved some temporary successes. When that attack failed, the main armoured forces used in it were moved to the Eastern Front to try to retake Budapest from the Russians in another offensive. Hitler was never going to stop fighting. His answer to every crisis was to attack. It was a policy that brought his regime down quicker. In the four months of 1945, the last months of the war, the German military suffered killed one-third of the numbers they had killed during the entire war. That's 1,310,000 German soldiers killed in those four months. This is not the behaviour of a country that is intending to stop fighting. The Germans had intensified their resistance even though there was no hope of winning. Prisoners of war and survivors from the concentration camps were being taken on death marches in the middle of winter to prevent them falling into the hands of the enemy. Many, many people died during these death marches, natural causes, or they were shot if they couldn't keep up. The Nazi planned for a partisan war to be conducted after Germany was defeated. Their plans were well known to the Allies. The operation was called Werewolf. Defeating Germany as quickly as possible saved more lives than it cost. The ground forces continued their attacks without let-up. There was no reason why the bomber offensive should have been relaxed. Any sign of weakness would only have encouraged the Nazi leadership to urge the people to resist more. Because they would have said, You see, we are starting to win. 
There is also another factor which had particularly visited the bomber offensive on Germany, and that was what happened in Germany in the years between 1943 and 1945 had its beginning around 2150 years before Christ. An important figure in the Bible is Abraham. The Jewish nation began with him, and in Genesis 22:18, God told Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. But there was a warning that God gave in Genesis 12:3 to people that did not treat his special race, the Jews, with respect. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So God had said that he would bless people who blessed the Jews, and curse them that didn't. The Nazis were poking God in the eye, and that is never a smart thing to do. The Nazis crossed another line with God, which Hosea 8.7 tells us in the well-known passage. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. God is many things. He never breaks his word. He is merciful, forgiving, and just to those who acknowledge Jesus Christ, him, the Holy Spirit, and obey his rules, his universe, his rules. But he is also the God who hands out justice. What you, what we all should be asking of God is mercy through Jesus Christ, undeserved forgiveness. What we would never be asking God for is justice, because you won't like it if that's what you get. There's a famous bit of dialogue in the 1944 Quentin Tarantino movie Pulp Fiction about this side of God. If you saw the movie, you'll remember this scene. Ezekiel 25:17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. There was no way that Nazi Germany would have been defeated without the bomber offensive. There was no way that the bomber offensive could be carried out without bombing whole cities. The American Norden bombsite was a brilliant piece of design. If it had worked, precision bombing would have been possible, but it only rarely worked under combat conditions, both over Germany and Japan. It seems to me that God had his purpose in wreaking such widespread destruction on the German people for what they had allowed to happen to the Jewish people, that his purpose was present in allowing the bomber offensive to be carried out as a punishment of the German nation. Richard J. Evans, in his book Third Reich at War, commented that the German nation was committed to the Nazi cause. He says only a very few mostly impelled by strong Christian conscience, raised their voices in criticism. He says, Yet the majority of Germans felt uneasy at the mass murder of Jews and Slavs and guilty that they were afraid to do anything to stop it. The Nazi regime, as the Red Army finally entered German territory and threatened the very capital itself, Berlin, 
tried to rouse the German population with tales that all the Allies wanted to do was to exterminate the German race. Your women and girls will be raped and degraded as barrack room whores, and the old men and children will be murdered. The men will be marched east as slave labour. The German people knew that they had done all of these things in the east. A Nazi party member in Stuttgart said, Weren't our own SS people frequently even more cruel towards Germans, their own fellow citizens, than the Russians have been towards the East Prussians? Never had a modern country been so systematically ripped to pieces. It was no accident. I want to thank Judy Nichols, a Cairns local and the daughter of Vic Trimble, the pilot of the bomber that we have followed for the last five programs, for bringing to my attention the book written by Don McNaughton, the son of the mid-upper gunner on the same bomber. The book is called Lucky Pommy Bastard. I recommend you grabbing a copy and having a read. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you liked this program, you will definitely love my other program, whatever it's about. It's called C-Y-K-I-A-E. What sort of stupid name is that? Who thought that up? That's, that was me, that's right. 